and, uh, and her mum was there on the beach, and it says, take a seat. So she took a seat, and it said, watch this video. So she had like kind of a little tablet, and started to watch the video. And for the previous 365 days, her boyfriend had proposed to her without her knowing. He had a little whiteboard that said, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Day 361, will you marry me? 360, will you marry me? And, and the video shot is every day for a whole year of him proposing to his girlfriend. And then the very final thing on this video, it said, turn around. And she stood up, turned around, and he stood there with a whiteboard. They said, will you marry me? Let's go. It moves me. In fact, I was just telling this story to Belinda. Uh, we were out dog walking. I just, and, and to be honest, he started to cry, didn't you? Just, you know, just hearing the story. And I, I was sharing this story last Sunday morning, and there was a lady on the front row whose tears were rolling down her face. and going, yeah, it, It's moving because there's this grand gesture. You see, that, that what, what it comes down to, look, I'm, I'm putting all this effort and energy into something which really comes down to this fact that I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I think John chapter 6 actually paints an amazing illustration, which I will come to in a moment, which actually comes down to something which reflects the Father's heart towards us. So let's pick it up in John chapter 6. Okay, hopefully the words will come up on the screen behind me. After this. Okay, now if you see the words after this, it's actually quite good to go into the previous bit of the Bible just to see what happened. Because before this, something happened. Jesus, with his followers, was in Jerusalem at the time. You see it, chapter 5. And uh, there was a, a man who had a disability for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. Amazing. But that upset the local religious authority. Not the fact that he healed someone, but the fact that Jesus had healed someone on the special day, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a special day in the continues to be within the, uh, you know, within the Jewish faith. And they said, you can't heal people. Heal people on any other day. You can't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, what, what, what do you mean? It's like, look, me and the Father are one. My, my Father doesn't have a day off on the Sabbath. Okay? You, you're missing the point. The Sabbath was meant to be for the benefit of man. It's not for the benefit of God. My, it, my Heavenly Father, look, he doesn't get a day off, and neither do I. I, I can only do what I see my Father do. That got him into even more trouble. Because now not only was he healing people on the day that he shouldn't have been healing, but now there was this equality, there was this parity that he was saying, uh, me me and God, we're we're together in this. And and they just thought that was blasphemous. They just thought it was outrageous what was being said. Okay. So that's what happened. And then he left Jerusalem. So we pick it up in chapter 6. It says, after this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing uh, on the sick. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Let me explain that. The way back in the Jewish history, uh, they'd been caught up into slavery in Egypt. Okay? Some of you know the musical, Joseph, many, many uh, multicolored dream coat, went off into uh, Egypt, became the big hero. They stayed in Egypt, and this great time that the Israelites were having in Egypt turned around and took them all into slavery, the Egyptians, and that's when the pyramids were being built. And uh, you know, So they were in slavery, and Moses came in and said, I want you to let my people go. And uh, the Pharaoh said, no. So Moses said, look, if you don't let my people go, then these awful things are going to take place within the land. 
And, uh, you know, if you don't want that to happen, let my people go. And the Pharaoh kept being stubborn. He said, no, I'm going to let your people go. And then the very last thing that happened, he said that Moses said, look, if you don't let my people go, then the angel of the Lord is going to come into the whole of Egypt and all the firstborn will, will die. And Pharaoh said, no, no. And that's what happened. The, the angel of the Lord came into the land and every firstborn child and died unless you're an Israelite child that Moses instructed all the Israelites to say, look, sacrifice a lamb, and with the blood of the lamb, I want you to put it around the doorpost. Put it, put it around the doorpost, and then the angel of the Lord will see that the lamb that was sacrificed and the blood of a lamb, and the angel will pass over you. So the Passover festival was there to, to remind people of the rescue of God uh, upon the people. Now that was the event that was taking place here. So the Passover feast was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now Jesus said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. How did we know what Jesus, how did Jesus know what he was going to do? As it says the previous chapter, me and the father are one, I can only do what I see my father doing. So it's born out of this intimacy, it's born out of this relationship. Uh, Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough food for each of them even just to get a little bit. Now, a denarii is kind of like the standard of the living wage. So if you multiply that in terms of our current context, it's about £11,000. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves, two fish, but what are they for so many? I have a lot of sympathy both for uh, Andrew and for Philip. I think if we just take a little aside into uh, this story, here we've got Andrew who sees the opportunity, the boy with the loaves and the fish, but doesn't quite believe it. He's edging his bets. Look, I've got these, I've got, I've got, I've got this boy, this boy here. He's got these loaves, he's got these fish. That's enough for you, isn't it, Jesus? Isn't it? <clears throat> A couple of chapters up there, actually, that they're kind of in the region at this point when the, uh, the miracle, the first miracle of the turning the water into the wine, it's a good miracle. So it was in the disciples' thinking at this point that Jesus can do things special. You know, he can do what with water. Can he do that with his little packed lunch? But he's edging it a little bit. So you've got two responses. You've got Philip who goes, who doesn't see the opportunity at all about what God was going to do. God was at work here. The impossible situation, Jesus knew that here was a moment that God was going to do something. And then you've got uh, Andrew's response about going, I kind of believe you can do something about Jesus, can't you? I hope you can. I've brought this boy to you. I hope you can do something. I have sympathy because I kind of like can identify with both of those that sometimes I think I completely miss an opportunity that God wants to do something. And I don't see it. I look at the impossible. Is God at work here? See, it's important for us to be with the Father and say, God, what are you doing? Uh, kind of sometimes within Christianity, there's, there's some unusual phrases that come out. And uh, one in recent days, it's that uh, I will hear uh, people come and Christians will come to me and say, Graham, we're, we're going out treasure hunting this afternoon. It's like, that's a strange phrase. It's like you're a metal detector in the field somewhere, treasure hunting. No, it's like, no, no, we, we, we want to go and find people that we believe God wants us to go and speak to. So we call it treasure hunting. And, and they'll sit in a, two or three people together, and let's see if I'm God. And, and, and they'll come up and, and they'll say things to me like, I, I see a picture or I've got a word like pink cardigan and wig and slippers. 
So they will then go and try and find someone in the high street or broad street with a cardigan and a wig and pink slippers. No, pink cardigan, that was it, wasn't it? Pink cardigan, wig and slippers, don't know the colour of the slippers. And they will go out and if they found someone like that, wow, doesn't your faith get built up? Because we're in something here that the Father is teaching us, telling us, look, you're going to go into this street here and when you go, look, this is what my spirit is, this is, look, it's a little bit like Jesus saying, I can only do what I see my father doing. How did Jesus know what was going to happen in the feeding of the 5,000? Because they'd been preempted by the father. Sometimes we, we, we don't see the opportunity, but God actually wants us to capture up in, us up in his story. Uh, one of my, my favorite kind of illustrations or photographs as a family, we, uh, I have two children, children now, One's 20 and one's 18. And so they're kind of like, my job is done. <laughs> yeah. And we occasionally hear from my son, usually in the middle of the night, asking us for money. And uh, that hasn't changed. And uh, my daughter is out in South Africa at the moment in Durban working on a, a project. And uh, she went along to a church recently and she contacted her. Dad, you should come over. You should come and see this church building. It's amazing what they have done. Okay, fair. if my daughter wants me to go and look at a church building, I think I ought to do that. Uh, uh, lovely. She's going into this building looking at it going, I think you like this. I think you like this. And because she sees something like I would see something. It's like, it's great that we're getting caught up in, in something together. But one of, one of the favorite photographs we have is them as little ones, was me standing in the garden with our lawnmower, and Jake was on my right. He'd have his yellow jacket on, and, uh, you know, and, and Beth, and he had his little plastic lawnmower, and Beth had one of these little stroller walker things. And we were there cutting the lawn together. What are you doing? We're mowing the lawn. We are. Actually, it's me. I'm mowing the lawn, and they're joining in the fun. But, but to get, and, and there's something of the purposes and the opportunity that God wants to capture us up in, that actually we're mowing the lawn together. We're about God's work here. And sometimes we miss it. We don't see it. A little bit like Philip. That, look, here's 5,000 people. They need feeding. We go to the practicalities. Sometimes in our life, things happen that there's actually an opportunity in here that God is at work. Why is this delay? Why is the car broken down? Why is that appointment being cancelled? Why this? Why that? Why is these events coming to stop and go, do you know what? Maybe this event has come in because God wants to do something. And so we need to stop and listen. God is there something about it? So that was Philip's response. But then there is Andrew's response as well that says, look, I've found this uh, little lad here. He has the fish and, and he has the loaves. Can you do something about it? And you, you can do something, can't you? I find that people come to me, Graham, you're the pastor of the church. Pray for me. And they have faith because I'm the pastor of the church that, that, that then we pray for someone that there must be some extra power and authority and I go, okay, I will pray for you as the pastor of the church. And inside I'm going, I'm not totally convinced you can heal, can't you, God? You do? Yeah. Yes, God heals, don't you? Because there can be an underlying unbelief and yeah, uncertainty. Some of you will know the name John Wimber. He was, uh, back in the 80s, 90s, was a remarkable gentleman who just woke up the church, Western church, many aspects of the Western church, the understanding that God is in the business of healing today. Great. But he tells his own journey into this, that he started to read the Bible and say, why can't you do this today? You do do this today. You're the same God. Why don't we believe for this? And started praying for people who are sick. And he prayed for hundreds of people and no one got healed. So he ended up going to a situation where 
uh, husband rang up and said, my wife is really sick, Pastor John, can you come and pray for me? And so John went, yes, in enthusiasm, but inside was going, here's another opportunity where I'm going to have to explain to them why God doesn't heal and let them down gently and manage their expectations and went in and, and started to pray and, and pray for this lady, Lord Jesus, heal her. And then he turned back to the husband and, the, and started to explain to the husband why God doesn't always heal today and that she's still very special and God does love her. And at this point, the husband was smirking at him and thought, that's not very nice, that's a bit rude, a bit impolite. Well, he didn't realize over his shoulder his wife had been completely healed and was up and about moving. And he went out of that place and went, yes, we got one. We putting the lawn together. We got one. Because God does want to capture us up in the adventure. But sometimes we can kind of like be, we have a bit of faith, but we lack faith. We have expectation, but we edge it a little bit. Do you really want, can you really in this situation? I think we need to cultivate an environment where people are expecting to meet with God. And actually we do celebrate everything without hyping it, and we need to learn to celebrate. So when Jane stands up here and says, God had the plan he knew what he was doing with regards to our housing. We should be celebrating that. It's great. So when we stand up about dog bowl stories, we're going, yeah, did God really provide? Yeah, we should be, without hyping, we should be celebrating and rejoicing. Look at the provision. Look at the healing. Look at the, uh, the circumstances that God was orchestrating and enabling. So we need to challenge unbelief and skepticism. Well, they were only a little bit healed, weren't they? They weren't fully healed, rather than celebrating the partial healing, or actually what can happen, we can get disappointment. If somebody can come out and say, look, I've been struggling with this, and God has healed me, and somebody over here says, I've been struggling with the exact same thing, but God hasn't healed me. And we can, have, we can struggle in ourselves, and we can get a little bit resentful, a bit bitter, rather than going, do you know what, isn't it amazing that this person over here, our Heavenly Father, has stepped in and, and healed this person, and done this in this person's life. See, unbelief breaks up God's plan and limits what God wants us to do in other people's lives. So there is something about getting caught up in the adventure. Uh, Mike Pilavacci, some of you will know, uh, been influential in our church, significant Christian leader in this country. One of his, I love one of the, the phrases that he just says, look, give it a go. Well, actually, you say give it a go, you never know. It's not Mike Pilavacci, that's Belinda. He says, give it a go, you never know. But Mike Pilavacci says this, look, give it a go, no one dies. If you go and pray for someone, hopefully, no one dies. It's not as a result of your prayer that someone dies, even if they do. But no one dies. What is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that that person knows that you love them enough to actually pray for them. That's a pretty worst thing that can happen. So let's look. Let's seize the opportunity. I, I spoke this word out in Eastbourne last week, and somebody left the church in Hamlin Park, went out for a walk, went on to... Uh, the Downs Beach Ahead and there was someone who was wanting to jump off Beach Ahead and they said here's the opportunity why God has brought me here and managed to walk the person off the top of Beach Ahead take the opportunity so let's get back to the story verse 10 Jesus said make the people sit down now there was much grass in that place and the men sat down and about 5,000 in number and Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed them to those who were seated so also to the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, they told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into this world. Amazing. 
Some of you love doing maths. Well, do the maths on this. Five loaves, 12 disciples. That means they didn't even get half a baguette each to feed on average. 5,000 men, 416 and a half people each. Five twelfths of a bread roll to feed 416 and a half people. The maths don't look too good. It's a massive object lesson. Any object lesson has a point. It's to illustrate something. And what was Jesus' point? Well, Jesus' point happened the next day, verse 35. Jesus said to them, okay, a crowd had gathered. He'd crossed over the lake at this point. We'll come back to that uh, towards the end of my talk today. But Jesus said to this crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be cast out. So that's the point. This huge dramatic miracle of the multiplying bread, Jesus the bread creator, the bread maker, Jesus said, look, I'm the bread of life. Yesterday, I filled your bellies with bread, but actually what I want to tell you about is a different sort of bread, the bread that you'll never need to come back to because it will be eternally satisfying. You, you go out for these meals sometimes, and I struggle when I go to one of these eat-as-much-as-you-can buffets because I panic for some reason in a buffet that I, I, I feel as if I need to fill my plate up at least four times because somebody else might, and there might not be any of these food left over. And, and I eat way too much and I come to the end of one of those eat as much as you can eat buffets and go, oh, I'll not eat for another year. Within eight hours, I'm having my breakfast because I'm hungry again. Jesus said this, I'm the bread of life. In English, we have life as a single word. But actually, there's a Greek in Greek, there's a number of different words. Bios means physical life. But my, I, my body has physical life. It's breathing. My, my heart is pumping. There's blood that is throwing. There's physical life. But then there's something called zoe life. I feel so alive. It's about quality. This is living. I'm really living. Exhilarating. It's energizing. It's fulfilling. This is what life's all about. Massive difference from existing to living. Newspaper headlines last week, uh, Daily Express, I said, the, the doctors have unlocked the key to live to 150. If you know the Daily Express, that is a common headline on the Express. <laughs> or similar. Unlocked the key to live to 150. What's the quality of that life? Because quality of life is more important. Jesus said, when he said, I am the, the, the bread of life, he said, I am the bread of Zoe. He didn't say, I am the bread of Bios. He's not talking about the physical. What he's talking about is really living. I've come to give you real living. Everyone who looks upon the sun and believes in them should have eternal Zoe life. I've come to give you the most uh, radical, the best life, the ultimate experience, exhilarating, purposeful existence beyond anything, not just mere existence. You will be eternally alive, not simply breathing. So when we die, this, this image of the fluffy clouds and the angels with the wings singing endless worship songs is not what Jesus is talking about. He said this is eternal Zoe life, purposeful, full-on, exhilarating, with a point life. People will try and find life. Some of you here might be trying to explore what life's about, and, and, and there's a point in terms of you've explored many avenues to try and find that satisfaction. So some people to try and find that within relationships or 
maybe within career, or maybe within kind of like possessions, that this, I've got a house, but I need to have a bigger house, or I have a, a, a husband, but I don't like him, I need another one, or I need children, or try and find some sense of satisfaction. Uh, Jake, my son, has a friend who was into base jumping, which is jumping off ridiculously low points and hopefully landing uh, safely with a parachute. Uh, the average lifespan of someone into base jumping was four years. Uh, Jake's friend was into his fifth year. Two weeks ago, he jumped off a building and died. Just one more jump. Uh, Blinda and myself were in a queue, easy jet queue, the other week. And we were coming back from Portugal. We'd been out on a conference, nice conference, awful surroundings. And we came back from this conference, and uh, there'd been clearly another conference taking place, slightly different. And, and uh, we were between uh, two uh, groups of the same party, and, and one group on this side said, Oh, you're right there, John. How did you get on last night? And John answered from the other group, Absolutely wasted. Great night. Oh, feeling a bit rough today. And the other person went, Yeah, I know what you mean. And this is oh, this knowing look. Oh, that's real living. That's what life is all about. But I don't reckon that that is completely satisfied. Uh, Paul said this to the church in Ephesus. He said, look, he said, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to kind of like debauchery. <laughs> Instead, be filled with the spirit. Now, Paul isn't at that point damning wine drinkers. What he's saying is, look, look, we can go out and search for stuff which we're trying to get, you know, have a drink, it liberates. Have a drink because, well, it gives you more confidence. Have a drink because it takes your mind off things. Have a drink because, well, come on, you'll have a good time. So the problem is that one drink, you need another drink, and that's when we start to form problems and habits. So Paul is saying, look, don't look to this, but look here instead. Look, look, look to things of God. Look to the Spirit. Because this is the one who will satisfy. And Jesus was saying that, look, Look, I am the bread of life. It's about me. If you want to know what is really satisfying in life, you need to come to me. You see, Jesus said this, that you're following me because of the signs. You're just coming after me because, hey, I can do a neat trick with the bread. Or I can heal someone. Or I can do if all you're coming is because of the signs, you're actually missing the point. You need to get plugged into the greatest sign of all. And that greatest sign is me. If you want to know what life is really about, don't try to find it into houses and extensions and careers and stuff like that. You're not actually going to find a dissatisfaction in that. Ultimately, you're only going to find satisfaction in the one who can give true Zoe life. It's in me, the person of Jesus. If you want this, then you need me. You need this bread. You need to eat this bread. Now, this is actually pointing towards yet the greatest object lesson of all. So at the point that Jesus is saying this is in a place called Capernaum, which was very close, just a few miles further on from a place called Cana. What do we know about this place called Cana? Uh, It's where the miracle of the wine. So he's in Capernaum talking about the bread. And if he's in kind of a locality talking about the bread and the wine, it's pointing towards another occasion where at another festival that was leading towards Passover, Jesus got his followers together, his disciples, and said that we're having a meal together. And then at the meal table, he got the bread. And he said, look, this is the bread. 
and with the loaf of bread, he broke it. And he says, take and eat this. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the wine and he passed the wine round and he said, look, this is my blood, the, the forgiveness of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. Which must be the ultimate object lesson which Jesus executed to perfection to express the love of the Father to humanity. You can't have life unless you come through me, Jesus said. You can't have peace, you can't have forgiveness, you can't have recovery, you can't have hope. You won't find satisfaction or enjoyment or purpose or excitement. Ultimately, you can only find that in me. Now, the point of this teaching series that we're in is is to reflect on the Father. He said, Graham, but you've really not touched in on this at the moment. Well, verse 38, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of at all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and that I will raise him up on the last day. It's the will of the Father. It's the will of the Father. Sending me so that you can live. Now, Jesus said this, don't, don't misunderstand, I'm happy with the plan. In fact, I was in on the plan. I'm part of the plan. But I want you to know, my heavenly Father is the one who has provided for you. And then there's this reference, as the story went on, if we had time, there's this reference point to when Moses was in the desert with the people, they come out of Egypt, cross over the Red Sea, and they went into the land and they, had, they kind of disobeyed God, and so they had to wander the land for 40 years. And in that everyday occurrence, they said manna was provided, food, bread. Bread was provided on every single day of the 40 years experience because he. God wanted them to know that he was the one who provided. And so in this discourse that Jesus was having with these people around, he said, look, where did that bread come from in the day of Moses? And Moses, it wasn't Moses who provided, it was the bread came from heaven, it came from God. Just like this bread, referring to himself, has come from heaven. Jesus, the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the bread of Zoe, life. It's come from the Father. And so if we were looking at this passage, what do we learn in, in chapter 6? That God wants to capture us up in his story. It's great that we get to push the low mower with him. <laughs> Go on, let's pray for people. Let's see this happen. Come on, we can do this together. We can get caught up. Let's take the opportunity. But the big hit on this chapter is that it's the Father who provides for our future. Not just in the here and now with dog bowls and houses, but in the eternal future the one who will eternally provide for us. Our Heavenly Father provides. Andrew referenced this last week. He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him graciously, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's the one who gives all things. So if you were to stay in Andrew's house and, and you get free run of the house, and then people would ask him, but does that give me access to the Rice Krispies? Of course it gives you access to the Rice Krispies. I've said, help yourself. 
If you buy a card, you get the car mats. Of course you get the car mats. It comes with it. If we've got Jesus, if Jesus has been given, then everything comes with that. The whole package. Because he's the Father who provides. But you go, God, can, can we really believe this? You are the one who has the fish and the loaves, and we believe that you can do amazing thing with bread and water and fish. And it, God is the one. He's able. We say, but my life is tough. My life is hard sometimes. Where's God in that? And I actually want to close on this. Because tucked right into the middle of this chapter 6 in John, there's a couple of verses, verse 16 through to 21, which tells of another little story. And you go, why did this story appear? Because it says this, when evening came, the evening of the same day, when the evening came, imagine that you were one of the followers of Jesus. You've just been instructed, here's some bread, here's some uh, fish, go and feed. And you go, oh, it's amazing. Did you, see, did you go to a football match? Have you been to a football match? Did you see that goal? Did you see the referee's decision? Did you see? And people go, yeah, I was there, I remember. Did you see what I did with this bread? I did this, and then went on the front row, and they gave a little bit here, and they gave a little bit there. And they go, yeah, we were there, Peter, as well. We, we did the same. But you don't mind because you're caught up in the enthusiasm, the excitement. And it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus hadn't yet come. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea coming to near them and they were frightened. But he said, it's I, don't be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. A few verses tucked in really important very quickly. Because we can be living for God and going for God and taking all the opportunities to get caught up in the adventure. And we go, oh, this is great. And then bang, the storm comes. The cancer comes. The illness comes. The unemployment comes. The tragedy comes. You go, God, where are you? This story is tucked in there just to remind us that in the middle of the storm, Jesus gets into the boat. is the one who's there with us. This story wasn't for the benefit of anyone else but the disciples. Because right in the middle of the storm, when it's at its roughest, Jesus walks to them and joins them. He doesn't take the storm away, but he joins them in the middle of it. And it just says, and they arrived, and the boat was at the land to where they were going. The place of safety and security comes when Jesus is in the boat of our life. And we're going to have a load of storms that can happen. And sometimes you go, but I'm living for God, I'm going for God, I'm dreaming for God, I'm doing all of this. And then why? It's in the middle of the storm that we need to know that Jesus is with us. What do we learn from chapter 6 about the Father? It's the Father that wants us to get caught up in the adventure, to give it a go. No one dies. Give it a go. You never know. It's the Father who provides ultimately in and through his son who gives us this everlasting life of adventure and purpose and passion but he's also the father who joins us in the middle of the storm when the tough times come and when it's a bit rubbish our father's with us let's stand together There might be some people here who are exploring spirituality at the moment. They're trying to make sense of life. 
And today I've expressed in Jesus' words that he says, if you want to know what life, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who ultimately says Zoe life. You're trying to find satisfaction anywhere else. Ultimately, it's going to be dissatisfying because you need to find Zoe life, purposeful life in him. So if you're exploring and on this journey at the moment to trying to discover, I just want to point you towards Jesus. And this morning might be an opportunity that you discover Jesus because he will be the one who eternally satisfies, unlike everything else we can, we can try. So if you're in that place, I'd love you to hang around, chat, say, hey, I want to discover this Jesus. I want to see if this is for real. But there's other people here who are in a place where they need to know the provision of God, ultimately you know the provision that God has provided in Jesus. And if we have Jesus, then we get all things added. And so, Father, just as we come to the end of this, I want to pray for release of provision into some people's lives who really need it. Some people here really need to know that you're with them right in the middle of a storm. And sometimes the finances just don't add up. And the month comes to an end and way too early with regards to your finances. So Father, I pray that you're the one who promises if you've given us Jesus, you'll give us all things. I pray for your release of your finances, for jobs, for employment. I pray for your provision in relationship. I pray for you to step in into people's circumstances now. And do the miraculous. I love the story. You can get hold of some loaves and fishes and you can become the bread maker. I pray, oh God, that you will be, in effect, the bread maker in people's houses. We pray it. Our Father in heaven, our dad without limits, make your name great. But then we say, give us this day our daily bread. Father, I pray for everything that we need today because you're the God who provides. Thank you that you're the Father who provides. And I want to pray for other people here who are in the middle of a storm right now, who they're saying they're living for God, trying to get it right, trying to do it right, and yet their life just seems to have hit hard against the rocks. I pray, oh God, in the middle of the storm that you'll go, hey, I'm right with you. Sometimes we need to take Jesus into that situation. It says in that passage that the disciples were glad to take Jesus into the boat. They were relieved. They were pleased. And uh, in the middle of your circumstances, it's important that actually what we do, we say, Jesus, please come into the middle of it. We acknowledge that we need you in the middle of these circumstances right now. Don't try and get the shore on your own. Pull Jesus into it. And so I want to pray for that, that they will know that you're the Father, not only who provides, but you're the Father who's with us in the middle of the storm. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.